I'm not doing magic tricks today. That's maybe what it looks like, but I'm not doing magic tricks. So <clears throat> it had been about three and a half years <clears throat> since the day that he dropped everything that he had ever known to step into a life that he knew absolutely not one thing about. And he could still remember Jesus when he whispered, just loud enough for him to hear, he said to him, he said, come follow me. And Peter had, literally Peter had absolutely no idea what he was getting into, but something inside of Peter told him that this was really the most important decision that he probably would ever make in his life. And now, just a few years later, <clears throat> he could barely even remember the days when his only goal was catching fish on the Sea of Galilee. He and the, uh, and the other guys that Jesus called to be his disciples, had, they had seen the blind, they'd witnessed the blind see, they'd seen the dead get up and, and walk, they'd seen the waves come, they'd seen demons cast out, and even crazier was at some point, or at one point along this, um, Jesus had actually had Peter doing some of the, the miracles, and he thought it never got old seeing the look of joy in a man's face when he walked for the first time after being paralyzed his entire life. And here they were now at this point having their third Passover meal together. But somehow this meal, this third one, felt a little different as the guys got up in that upper room and they, they found their spots around the table. Jesus didn't go directly to, uh, to his seat. Instead, he got down on his knees next to a bucket of water, and he began to wash all of his guys' feet. And the others, really just like Peter, they were sort of speechless. They had heard Jesus talk about serving others. They'd, they'd heard him talking about being selfless countless of times. But this, in Peter's mind, this was, this was like just too far. And Peter was the last one to go, and by that point, he really couldn't keep his mouth shut. You'll notice if you read the Gospels, Peter has no filter. Peter has a lot of trouble keeping his mouth shut. And so he just said, no, Lord. <clears throat> he blurted that out, um, and he pulled his feet away. And Jesus looked into his eyes, much like he had done uh, on that beach, much like he had done when he called Peter several years ago when they first met. And he said words that once again, and Peter knew that they would change his life. And so Peter extended his, his feet out, and he watched in disbelief. And you just put yourself back in that. He watched in disbelief as the creator of the universe washed the gunk in between Peter's blistered toes. <clears throat> so, y'all, I'm, I'm tickled everybody is here this morning. I tell you good morning. Good morning to the people watching online. I'm Ed Griffin-Egan. I'm one of the pastors here at my church, and we're in week five of our Made for Mission series and if you have been at the beach or something in the last few weeks I want to give you just a quick a quick little rundown on and on kind of where we have gone for the last five uh, the last four um, messages in this series we said first that we are all called it's not some calling for the for the spiritually elite if you're a Christ follower then you're called to be on mission and then in week two we answered the question what is my mission and our mission is very similar to what Christ's mission is. So that calls us to figure out what he is all about. And then in week three, we asked, what is my message? And we learned that our message is really threefold. I came to Jesus. I asked him for help and he is changing me. And then last week, 
we said, who is my mission? And at the end of the day, it's everybody that is in all of our worlds. Everybody is our mission. So today, I want to address and maybe answer, at least best way we can, answer this question, why am I on a mission? Why is it? And maybe while we're here together on Sunday mornings, everybody leaves here maybe pumped up and ready to go out and live a life on mission um, in the way that, that God has wired you up, but in the craziness of life gets in the middle of it. And you may go to work and you think, do I really have to force uh, this awkward kind of spiritual conversation with the people at work, or do I, do I really have to look at my school as a mission field, or can I just go to class like everybody else, or can I just be a regular soccer mom and not a, a mom that's on a mission? And so before we dive in to the passage that we're going to walk through today, I want to touch on, speak to a little bit, if you're here checking out, maybe for the first time, God, Jesus, the church, the truth claims that, that God makes. I want you to know that as you're trying to figure this out, it is important to understand that, that Jesus, and this is going to sound weird, but Jesus is inviting us into a chicken pot pie relationship and not a TV dinner relationship. Everybody got a worship God? That's, that's in your worship God. I believe it's in your worship God. He's inviting us into a chicken pot pie relationship, not a TV dinner one, because you know in a TV dinner one, the food comes in, their li- in these neat little compartments. So you could devour your, your Salisbury steak, but you could leave the broccoli alone, and the broccoli doesn't touch the Salisbury steak. And it's like, it's like I love, like my favorite meal on the planet is a veggie. This is a veggie tray from countries. It's my favorite meal on the planet. And and I think it's because of the tray that it's my favorite. Now, their vegetables at countries are the bomb. But I love, I love the tray because it's got those cool little compartments. And they keep, it keeps your food separate. It keeps, I don't want my baked beans up all over my cabbage. I can't stand it. I'm even weird. I eat these things one, like I eat this and then I eat this and then I eat this. And I hate for, for the food for the food to to touch, I need for them to stay separate. And in the very same way, we can easily break down our lives into their own little distinct compartments. And you've got, just think about it, you got you got family, and then you got maybe work, and you've got this, and you've got that, and you may even, you got my spiritual life, and it may even be the biggest compartment in the whole tray. You've got your spiritual life up there, but in that, in that, in that image of this, these compartments that we all kind of treat our life in, you could have really, really strong spiritual beliefs, and they come out on Sundays, but they don't mix with the other parts of your life. And the problem is that Jesus is not interested just in that. He's not interested just in your spiritual life. He's, inter- he's interested in your, in your whole life. He's interested in the whole plate. It makes him smile when the baked beans get up all over the cabbage. He wants, all, he wants to remove all those separate little dividers in that plate. And with a chicken pot pie, and by the way, I hate chicken pot pie. 
And you know why? I think I hate chicken pot pie because when I was in college and we had to buy food for this fraternity that I was in, we could get a, a, a case of 100 chicken pot pies for like 25 cents a piece. And I'm not eating food that is cheaper than dog food. I loathe the chicken pot pie. That was a, like a total rabbit trail, and I, I apologize for that. But, but, it, but here's the deal, though. In a chicken pot pie, all the food's mixed up in there, and there's no picking and choosing. And the broccoli and the chicken and the peas and the carrots, they're all in there whether you, in every bite, whether you want them in there or not. And the same is true in our walk with God. He wants our relationship with him to touch every single part of our lives and for us to get rid of all those little compartments. Back in the day, there was a restaurant that started out on the West Coast. This is like a food. I mean, y'all are all going to leave early to go eat, but there's a restaurant out on the West Coast. The name of it is Carl's Jr. It started on the West Coast. Any of y'all ever heard of Carl's Jr.? They had this odd, yeah, Nikki's heard of Carl's Jr. They had this they had this, this catchy slogan, although it's kind of weird. And here was their slogan. It is, if it doesn't get all over the place, it doesn't belong in your face. And the same, it's kind of weird, but in the same way, that can be said for our relationship with God. If it doesn't get all over the place, then it doesn't belong in our faith. If it doesn't get all over the place, it doesn't belong in our faith. And today, y'all, we're going to be in John chapter 13. And we're going to, we're going to be kind of looking at, at verses 1 through 17. So let, let, us, let us look at the first five verses. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now... The most frequent response, typically, people had to Jesus was utter amazement. Utter amazement. Is that ever your response to him? You know, maybe it was before, but, but now that we've been at this whole Christian thing a while, maybe we kind of know the drill. I'll give you an example. Um, maybe we get used to stuff. I don't know. Tuesday night. Three, four days ago, five days ago, Tuesday night, we were out in the streets. We're serving food. There was a ton of people in the streets. I don't know why on Tuesday night, but there was a ton of people in the streets. And we were at our second or third stop. We were by the Homeless Resource Network just off of 2nd Avenue. And and I just kind of knew there probably wasn't going to be enough food. And I look up, and we, we ran out of food. And the within five seconds of us running out of food, my phone rang. Susan was at work. She's working on that movie that Richard was talking about like 14 hours a day. She was at work. Part of what she's doing is providing meals for the whole cast and crew every night, dinner, meals. And so she's typically about 100, 110. So she calls me. I'm telling you it was five seconds after we, were, after we handed the last plate out. And she says to me, hey, and this was early. It was like 8 o'clock, and she hasn't been getting finished with work until about 10 o'clock. So this is about 8 o'clock. 
And she said, hey, how are y'all on food? And I said, well, it's funny you called. We just handed the last one out. She said, well, it's funny that not as many people, nearly as many people came for dinner tonight on the set. And I said, you got food left? And she said, yeah, about 35 or 40 trays. And I said, where are you? And she said, on 2nd Avenue, look up. And she was turning. And so it's like two years ago, I'd have been like blown away by that. And now it's, I just expect that stuff to happen. And, and I feel a little guilty, but it's, it's like if we expect God to show up, he tends to show up. Um, and I think maybe that's a little bit how the disciples felt after three and a half years of watching and hanging out and sitting around the fire and walking on the beach and doing ministry with Jesus, it's like they probably, oh, another paralyzed guy's walking, shocker, you know, or another a blind guy is now seeing. It's no big deal. We see it all the time. But now in that upper room, this was something new for all of them. They all, I imagine, sat there and said, you are going to wash my feet. There's no way that's going to happen. For me, and maybe for you, it is easy for us to turn our mission on and off. But for Jesus, he was always on mission. 24-7, he was always on mission. Now, clearly there's an obvious difference, and that is he's God and I'm not God. But I think it's more than that. I think that he knew and was always focused on the why of his mission. He knew his why. And it was stronger than any excuse. It was stronger than, than any reason that maybe he could come up with to not wash their feet. Hundreds of them probably. And I just kind of thought this through in my mind, like what could he have not done or how could he have not done that uh, this week I'm, as I'm thinking about this scene of God washing these guys' feet, and I'm thinking, this was just a Friday night. Couldn't he just have a meal with his guys on a Friday night and not have to be doing all this serving stuff? He could have thought, none of them deserve it. They don't deserve it. He knew he's God. He knew what was fixing to happen. He knew that just hours later that Peter would deny even knowing him that night. He knew it didn't sneak up on him. He knew, did he wash Judas's feet? Did he wash Judas's feet that night? He did. Did he know that Judas was going to betray him as he is sitting down, sort of in a seemingly position of inferiority, washing the gunk between the toes of the man that was going to betray him? He knew that was fixing to happen, but he did it anyway. He could have thought, I'm like way overqualified for this. This is way beneath me. I'm not going to do it. He could have said, you know, it ain't going to make any difference anyway. I get their feet clean in an hour. They're going to walk out on this dusty road and their feet are going to get nasty again. Finally, I thought Tuesday night, I was sitting there thinking about this and I thought, or Wednesday night, and I thought, don't you think that he had bigger things on his mind at that time? He knew he was going to be arrested. He knew he was going to be beaten. He knew that he was going to be crucified. And if there was ever a time that it would have been kind of okay for him to just think about himself, that night would have been that time. And yet here he is with every excuse in the book not to do it. But here he is amazing those men that were closest to him. I think this is probably the most one up to this point in his life, the most selfless time. And I think, how do I stay focused and passionate about 
my mission, the mission that God has wired me up for, when the people that I'm serving spit on me, when the people that I'm serving get mad at me, when I'm mad at them, maybe when I wake up and I just don't feel like doing it. You know, there's lots of things, lots of, of, of things that shape how we see ourselves. There's lots of things that shape the way that we think other people see us. Our actions help shape our identity. And then our identity helps to shape our actions. Y'all get that? What we do kind of shapes our identity, and our identity kind of shapes what we do. For Jesus, the foundation of his mission flowed from his identity. The foundation of his mission flowed from his identity. What if your identity, what if you got your arms around the idea that your identity is found truly only found in the Lord? It's not in your job, it's not in your wife, it's not in your husband, it's not in your boyfriend, it's not in your girlfriend. What if we really understood that our identity was only found in him? And this was definitely true with Jesus and the Father. I want to shoot through five or six identity issues maybe with Jesus. He knew who he was. He was the Son of God. His mission was clear. He knew whose he was. He was the Father. He knew who he was. He knew whose he was. He knew what he was here for. And the time had come. We were just a few days away. The time had come, and he knew it. It didn't sneak up on him. He turned his face. The Scripture says earlier that week, earlier that week he turned his face towards Jerusalem because he knew what he was here for. And it was the time for him to, to pay the penalty, not for his sin, not for his sin, for my sin and for your sin. He knew what he was here for, and then he knew where he was going. He knew that he would soon leave this world and go to be with the Father in heaven. And his eyes, at this moment, they're looking a little beyond the cross. Earlier in the week, he turns towards Jerusalem, and now he's looking a little beyond the cross because he knew where he was going. And then he knew where his power came from. He knew that the Father had put everything under his power and that he had come from the Father and he was returning to the Father. And for us as Jesus followers, this is true of us as well. When our identity is wrapped up in God, he is infinitely bigger than any of the circumstances in our life. When we know that it is not about work, it is not about my kids, it is not about my wife even, and I love her more than any human on the planet, but it is not about her. My identity is not found in her. Any of the things that we stick our identity in, the world is screaming at you that, oh, you're a salesman. You know, oh, you're this, oh, you're that, oh, you're a husband. Well, yeah, you are, but all of that can be ripped away from you. But your identity in Christ cannot be ripped away from you. So jump back to John 13. Let's look at, at, at starting again in verse 6. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. I told you, Peter has no filter. Um, Jesus answered him. Now, y'all listen to this answer Jesus gives him. Unless I wash you, unless you let me wash your feet, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. 
then you can almost see Peter just throwing his hands up. He said, then, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered him, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. And, like, what a crazy response. If I don't do this, if you don't let me do this, if I don't do this and you don't let me, then you have no part with me. And I'm thinking one of the simplest descriptions of what our relationship with Jesus is supposed to be like is this. It's pour out, pour in, pour out. Pour out, pour in, pour out. We begin by pouring ourselves out to God. We share everything with Him, good, bad, and ugly, mostly the ugly. We share the flaws. We share the pain. We share the junk. It is like this. We've got to, our whole life is this dirty water, and He tells us to pour that out to Him, whatever it may be, all the junk, all the flaws, all the mess-ups, all of the, 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 maybe the good stuff too, but the bad stuff in our lives. And then when we pour all of that out to him, he pours back in to us. But shocker, his water is clean. We're pouring this dirt out to him, and he's pouring clean back into us. The Holy Spirit gets poured into us. Friends, godly friends pour into us. He pours um, encouragement into us, uh, conviction and guidance and wisdom. But here's the deal. It's not about us just pouring out to him and and him pouring out. It's not just that. It doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with him pouring out into us. We take our overflow and we pour that into others. That is what our mission is. We give it to him. He pours into us and then we pour that into other people that are in our lives. And you see this exact thing in Jesus' life all over the place. Right after this scene in John 13, Jesus goes to the garden of Gethsemane and he pours his heart out to the Father. You remember that scene? He pours his heart out to the Father. He is sweating blood and he pours his heart out to the Father and the passage says that God sends an angel to strengthen him. The Father is pouring into him. He's pouring out to the Father and the Father is pouring into him and then finally Jesus goes from there to give his life on the cross to forgive the sins of all mankind. That is the ultimate pour out. He pours out to the Father. The Father pours in to him, and he pours out to all of mankind for eternity. And to the depth that I pour out to God on a daily basis, to the depth that I pour out to him, it's the depth that he's going to pour into me. And the depth that he pours into me is directly related to the depth that I can pour out to other folks. Now, what would happen if you never took the time to pour out to God through prayer and allow him to pour in to you? All you would have in your life is that. That's all you'd have is that dirty cup. When people came to you in need, this is all you could give them. Is your, they don't need your dirty water. They need his clean, living, healing water. Y'all get that? If I can't give that up to God and let him fill me up, 
then I ain't got nothing to give. So what I'm given is, I may be giving wrong advice. I may be doing more harm for that person than doing good for that person. And for Peter, for Peter, it's really the very same thing. By washing his feet, by Jesus washing his feet, he's given us a, a really powerful object lesson of replacing nasty feet with clean ones. And Peter's first response was, no way that is not going to happen. But Jesus comes back strong. He comes back real strong. And he says, Peter, if I can't do this for you, then and if you won't let me do this for you, then you have missed the whole point for the last three and a half years. You've missed the whole point. From the very beginning, Jesus' primary call on Peter's life was not ministry. It was intimacy. It was not do this, do that. It was intimacy. Jesus told Peter on day one, follow me. He didn't say get in line. He didn't say do this or that. He said follow me. He invited him first and foremost into a relationship. So what he does with you and me. He invites us into a relationship, and he says, I will make you a fisher of men. But you notice that Peter's job is not to become a fisher of men, but is simply to follow Jesus and allow him to make Peter into whatever he wants to make him into. When you pour out and he pours in, he's going to make you into whatever he wants you to be. It's not a salesman. It's not a real estate broker. It's not, I'm flipping burgers at McDonald's. It is a child. He makes you first and foremost into his child. You've you got to understand that that is where your identity is. And we get all this stuff in our lives that makes us forget that. It makes us forget that our real identity is, it makes us forget whose we are. It makes us forget who we are. And God wants to cleanse us and remind us of who and whose we are. And this whole mission series, this whole Made for Mission series that we've been in, and we've got one more week, it really boils down to this. It boils down to Made for Mission equals a life in relationship with God. Made for mission equals a life in a relationship with God. And you can't, you, those two are inextricably linked. You cannot separate them. And the exciting thing then is that, that out of our identity of being cleansed by God and refilled by his Holy Spirit, he calls us to join. So y'all listen to the very last thing that he tells Peter and the other guys to do. He says, when he had finished washing their feet, this is starting in verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked him. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. He tells them, to go do the same for others. As I've poured into you, you go pour into others. As I've poured into you, you go pour into others. And this story has multiple layers. Not only do we see where Jesus puts his foundation so that he's able to to stay on mission, even when everybody else would just sort of walk away, we also find as God pours more of himself into us, 
He'll lead us to greater levels of service and sacrifice. Everyone else in our culture, everyone else in the world is about, and you're getting bombarded with this, about upward mobility. Get a better car, get a better house, get a better job, get a better paycheck. But God is actually leading us to what the world is going to call downward mobility. And they're going to look at you like you've lost your mind. But that is, it's so foreign to our culture, but it is his way. He gave us the perfect example. He exchanges a throne in heaven for a bloody cross. I mean, y'all think about how big a deal that is. He exchanges a throne in heaven for a bloody cross on the earth. And before you think of that as some sort of punishment, listen to what Jesus says next in verses 16 and 17. He says, Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And notice he doesn't say serve and sacrifice for others so you get uh, uh, some extra credit. He doesn't say serve and sacrifice for others so that you get some kind of some kind of spiritual brownie points. He says you'll be blessed if you do them, meaning you will be the fortunate one. The blessed, the the the, the feeling of blessing when you serve somebody, it is the most. It's the craziest thing, and the world is so anti that. It is the craziest feeling inside. And I've never personally, I've never felt closer to the Lord than when I'm serving another human being. I don't, I, it just took, and it took a while to learn that, that we are wired up to serve another human being. And I think there's two main reasons why he says that we'll be blessed. Number one, and they're really nuances of difference, but they're very, they're, they're very close to each other. Number one, the more you serve and sacrifice out of an overflowing cup, the more that you are like Christ, the more that you are becoming like Christ. And number two, the more that you serve and sacrifice, the more you are in Christ. Paul talks throughout his writings about being in Christ. So the more we serve and sacrifice, the more we become like Christ and the more that we are in Christ and he in us. And it's only in that place where you can truly learn that Jesus is enough. If you have him, that is all that you need. And so as we live on mission, it is huge that our why is secure. And it is simply that our identity is found in Jesus, that we don't need to seek approval in our work, in our money, in our accomplishments, in our abs, in our biceps, in our boyfriend, in our girlfriend, in our husband, our wife, our kids, our parents. It's not about that. We are fully approved by God. Now, don't misconstrue that. We bring nothing to the table other than the sin that made the cross necessary. Y'all got to understand that. We bring nothing to the table other than the sin that made the cross necessary. But we learned last week that we are worthy of a conversation. We learned last week that the Samaritan woman, Jesus went out of his way to go talk to the Samaritan woman because she was worthy of a conversation. When we're saved and when we are in Christ, we're fully approved by God. And from this identity of being in him, he now calls us to serve others humbly and, and happily, putting other folks' needs in front of our own. And Jesus, in this scene in the upper room, he sets the bar 
absurdly high. He's God, and he washes the nasty, grimy toe jam, and he told us to follow that example. So this next week, as you're walking through this week, I want you to pour out all your junk onto him and allow him to pour himself back into you. Uh, uh, Romans 10.15 says this, And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. As you spend time with God every day and God washes you and cleanses you, he'll send you out with some beautiful feet. How y'all's feet look? Do people say you got beautiful feet? They only get beautiful. They only come from being with Jesus. And let me warn you, you may not always get it right. Matter of fact, we're not always going to get it right. Peter and his clean feet fell asleep in the garden an hour later when he's supposed to be praying. A few hours later, he denies even knowing Jesus at all, all within a few hours of Jesus washing his feet. So what does Jesus do in John 21? Just a few days later, Jesus meets him on the beach, a resurrected Jesus meets him on the beach, where it had all begun, and what did they do? Peter pours out to Jesus. Jesus pours into Peter. Okay, Peter, the dude with no filter, the dude that flies off the handle, the dude that says whatever is on his mind, he pours out to Jesus, Jesus pours into him, and a few weeks later, Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2 the most powerful sermon in all of the New Testament outside of Christ's words himself. Peter pours out to Jesus, Jesus pours into him, Peter pours out 3,000 people are saved at Pentecost when Peter preached Christ crucified and resurrected. Did you know the book of Mark? The book of Mark is Peter's testimony. Mark was a traveling companion of Peter. Okay? Mark wrote Peter's testimony. And you know what is cool? This is a few decades later when this happened, when it's actually written. Peter's identity is so secure in Christ that he includes all of the stupid stuff that he did. All of it. You can't make it up. If it was fake, he never would have written that down. If you, I'm going to fake a narrative, I'm going to make myself look good, not stupid. So you can't fake this stuff. Can't you see Peter and Mark sitting around a fire, hanging out, and Mark says, tell me about what happened. And Peter says, well, let me tell you all of the stuff that Jesus did. And they're just talking. And Peter is, I mean, Mark is taking all this stuff down. And you can see Peter saying, oh, and that's when I screwed up and I cut the dude's ear off in, in the garden. Oh, and, th- and remember one time we are in a boat, and I got out of the boat, and I'm walking on the water, but then I took my eyes off of Jesus, and I sunk. How could I take my eyes off of him? Oh, and then there was the time that I fell asleep when I was supposed to be praying. And, oh, Mark, don't forget that I denied him three times three hours after he washed my feet. The foundation of Peter's mission flowed from his identity in Christ. And the same as it's got to be true of me and you. The foundation of our mission, it's got to flow from our identity in Christ. Who knows? Your worst moments might... No, you know what? I was going to say maybe. No, the reality is our worst moments serve to help others when they're going through the same kind of stuff. Authenticity and honesty and look at all the dumb stuff that I've done and here's what happened. That may be the biggest serving moment that you could possibly have with another human being. And so today... 
Today may be the day that you pour out all your junk to him. I don't know. Pour it all out, and he will pour his Holy Spirit into you. That's the way that he works. One of the most beautiful things ever is that we get to trade our stuff, our junk, our sins, our messed up life. We get to trade that for his righteousness. We give everything that's messed up in, uh, in our life and about us, and we get to receive his perfection. We didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it. But he forgives us of those things, and he pours perfectly clean, healing, living water into us and saves us. And if today is that day for you to say, fill me up, if today's that day, the message is simple. Mark 1.15 says, repent and believe the good news. And oh my gosh, the news is so good. That's all he says is repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe it. So I want to ask you all to bow your heads, close your eyes. And if this is you today and you want to say, Lord, fill me up today, I want you to just simple little prayer. Say, Lord, I'm so tired of keeping my junk, and today I repent of it, and I'm pouring my dirty water back onto you, onto your shoulders. Lord, you got big shoulders. You can handle that. Number one. And number two, say, I believe that you died and was resurrected just for me. You poured yourself into me, Lord, to provide a way for me to live with you forever. Today is the day I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Amen. Here's the deal. If you just said that, I say this every week. If you just said that, the heavens are screaming and smiling and and just full of joy, and we are too, and we want to walk that journey with you. We encourage you very much to take the God plunge. We're having a God plunge today. If that happened to you today, I encourage you to, to sign up, walk through the process on a connection card that's in the seat back in front of you. Let us know that God filled you up today and saved you with his living water, number one, and let us know that you want to take the God plunge and be baptized in September. Today we have the privilege of leading a number of folks into the God plunge, and I want to invite you all right now before, we, uh, before our, our worship team uh, leads us in this last song of worship, if you have kids in my tots or in my kids, I want to ask you to go get them right now and then, and then come back and be part of this God. You can actually get up right now if you want to, to go get the kids because we want you to go get them and we want you to bring them back and we want them to see what Jesus modeled for us in baptism today as we do that. Um, and so our worship team is going to lead us in one more song um, and I invite all of y'all to hang out with us, hang out with us um, as we, as five or six people uh, make this public profession of faith today.